Good morning. So, raise your hand if you got here an hour early. One, two, just a couple of us. Okay, and everybody else got the message about daylight savings time. That's great. A couple pieces of um, good news. One, we had a, uh, we've got a new campus brother. His name is Wes Hall. Wes just got baptized uh, right before the campus retreat, right? Or was it at the campus retreat? Right before the campus retreat. All right, welcome Wes to the family. Great to have you. Another piece of good news is we have a new engaged couple, Stephen and Sydney. Been a long time coming. Been praying for you guys. <laughs> God has finally answered the prayer. You guys make a fantastic couple. Can we get the slides up? I'm sorry, I didn't get the, I didn't get the clicker this morning. Uh, turn with me to John chapter, where are we? 13. John chapter 13, please. Does anybody know what this is that's on the slide? Yeah, yeah, it's a boot. Yeah, it's a boot. Anybody know what monument this is? No? Okay, no, no worries. We'll talk about it. The most, uh, probably the most recognizable story of betrayal in United States history is that of a man named who? Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold. Did somebody say LeBron James? <laughs> Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold, he was a, a hero in the Revolutionary War. It's in the late 1700s. In 1775, at the outbreak of the war, uh, Benedict Arnold uh, led a group of people who helped capture Fort Ticonderoga from the British. And in 1776, he helped stop a British invasion of New York at the Battle of Champlain. The following year, he played a crucial role in bringing about the surrender of the British Army at Saratoga. In that battle, his foot was injured in the battle. And so Arnold, even though he had had all these military exploits, in his mind, he had never received the recognition that he wanted and that he thought he deserved. And so in 1779, he entered into secret negotiations with the British. And he agreed to turn over West Point, of all places, in return for money and a position in the British Army. And so the plot was discovered, and Benedict Arnold ended up escaping to a British ship. After he fled to the other side, Arnold did receive his command post. He became a brigadier general in the British Army. And uh, with his injured foot, the next time people saw him was when he was on the opposite side, fighting against the American forces. Now, obviously, uh, the United States won the Revolutionary War. Amen. We're no longer beholden to Britain. But after that, Arnold moved to England, and he died in London in 1801 at the age of about 60 years old. And so this picture that I have up this morning is called the Boot Monument. It is a Revolutionary War Monument Memorial in Saratoga National Historical Park. And it commemorates Benedict Arnold's service at the Battle of Saratoga before he had flip-flopped. Um, but it does not name him. 
His name is nowhere on the monument. For us, his name has become synonymous with the word traitor. For Christians, the name Judas has the same connotation. He will be forever known as the disciple who betrayed Jesus Christ. And if you've ever been betrayed before, you know the stinging feeling that comes with it. And Jesus, who was tempted in every way, knew that feeling as well. And even though Jesus was being betrayed himself, he not only continued to show love to his disciples and to other people, but he commanded that his disciples also love one another. And he did that so that the world would know that we are his disciples. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at love in the midst of of betrayal. Love in the midst of betrayal. If you could please uh, pray with me just for a moment. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask for your spirit to be amongst us this morning. Um, obviously, he's always amongst us and in our presence, but during these times when we get to open up your word and we uh, submit ourselves to what your word has to say, we especially ask for your spirit's presence to be in our lives and to guide us, guide us into truth, guide us into conviction, guide us into encouragement, Father, to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for all the amazing things that you're doing amongst us in our church, and we pray and ask that you would continue to use us to seek and to save the souls of lost men and women here in Hampton Roads. We love you, and we pray again in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So John chapter 13, last week we looked at Jesus washing the disciples' feet. We're going to pick it up here in John chapter 13, verse 18. <coughs> and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Jesus says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I've chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen... You will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him, Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Jesus, uh, Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give some something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he had gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. 
You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Just two points this morning. First is betrayal is real. Betrayal is real. Remember, we're in the final hours of Jesus' life in this part of John chapter 13. It's during the Passover festival. And he's going to be arrested in a matter of hours and then crucified the following day. And as Jesus washed the disciples' feet during the Last Supper, his show of love washing their feet was against this lurking backdrop of Judas's betrayal. If you read again in John chapter 13 in verse 2, it says the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And then Jesus goes and he washes the disciples' feet. And then in verse 10, he says, And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. And so the whole story is really about betrayal. But in the midst of this betrayal, Jesus is loving enough to go and to wash his disciples' feet, including Judas's. And then also go and command his disciples to love one another. It's a great contrast that John is setting up here. Now, even though Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, Jesus still loved him. He washed his feet. Jesus did not gossip about him. Hey, guys, y'all know what's going on with Judas, right? This brother's struggling over here. He's going to be betraying me in a minute. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't give him an ultimatum. Yo, I know what you're about to do. So you need to repent or you need to get out. Jesus didn't do that. Kept him right there. They didn't even know who Jesus was talking about when Jesus said, someone is going to betray me, right? Verse 22. His disciples stared at one another at a loss, at a loss to know which of them he meant. Like, who is it? Who's going to betray him? Peter had to ask John to ask Jesus. It wasn't that obvious that Judas was the one. You ever played that game Mafia before? You know, where you got to like close your eyes and then whomever is the Mafia guy. I've only played it once. Whoever is the Mafia guy like taps somebody and kills them or whatever. And then you open your eyes and... Then you got to try to figure out, well, who's the killer, right? And you kind of talk and you say, well, this person I think and that person I think. And I don't even know how the rest of it goes. I just know that when you open your eyes, you don't know who the one is. I know that. And you got to kind of guess. And that's kind of what was going on here. Kind of like a game of mafia. Who's the one that's going to betray Jesus? 
Now, Jesus was willing, believe it or not, he was willing to be betrayed. I mean, how many of us are like willing to be betrayed? Like, I know somebody's on the take. I know someone's out to get me. But I'm just going to let myself get got. Not many of us, right? Not many of us. Jesus did not protect himself. He didn't cut himself off from Judas. The disciples didn't notice any weirdness in the relationship. I mean, if that were me, I'd be kind of like cold shoulder. You know what I mean? It'd be kind of obvious. Like, I think Tony has an issue with Judas. (laughs) Jesus didn't do that. Judas still had access to Jesus. Access to the 12. Judas had intel on what the 12 were going to be doing. He's using that intel to sell Jesus out. Jesus allowed him to have it. Judas Judas knew what they were doing. He knew where they met. And he even still had access to the money bag. Now, if you have someone embezzling, right, at a company, what's the first thing you do? You cut them off. You remove them as a signatory from the checkbook, right? You change the password so they can't get into the bank account. Jesus didn't do that. This is amazing. Jesus gave Judas every single possible chance to repent because he loved him all the way to the very end. Another way that we know this is as they're at the at the table, scholars think many times in these types of settings, they would sit in a horseshoe kind of a setting. I should have made a slide about it, but they sit in a horseshoe setting. okay? and on on one side or end of the horseshoe and they weren't sitting at a literal table because they kind of reclined on their on their kind of on their hip. But anyway, so they, they would sit in this horseshoe setting. The person of honor tended to sit on one side. Right. And so, sorry, we remember that John was sitting next to Jesus, right? So Jesus is sitting here. John is sitting probably in the place of honor because it says this is the disciple that Jesus loved. And John kind of talks about himself in the third person. John is the one, is the disciple that Jesus loved. But but anyway, so they're sitting in this horseshoe. I'm sorry. And um, Jesus is sitting there. John's sitting on his right. Peter... Here's Jesus say, someone's going to betray me. Peter was probably sitting down here. And so Peter looks across the space to John. And Peter's kind of like, ask him, like, who's he talking about? And so Jesus is there and he says, he tells John, who's on his right, it's the one that I'm about to give this bread to. Jesus dips the bread and guess what? Who's on his left? It's Judas. Judas had a seat of honor, the right and the left. Those were the main seats of honor at any kind of a formal dinner. And so even up to the very end, this guy that's going to stab Jesus in the back, Jesus is giving a seat of honor to him. Amazing. I mean, who of us loves like that? Like, wow. Jesus, almost like Jesus was saying, just go ahead. Just right here, right in the back. Hit me with it. I don't understand it. In all of this, Jesus still loved and commanded love. 
Now, we would never liken ourselves to Benedict Arnold or Judas. And as much as we would like to be like Peter, who in the end, you know, says, well, I'll lay down my life for you, right? Well, how did that go for Peter, by the way? As much as we would never love to liken ourselves to these guys, we all have the seeds of betrayal in our hearts. And we have to be sure that those seeds of betrayal do not grow. These seeds of betrayal and sin in particular, they grow in darkness. The darker it is, is the more opportunity these seeds have to grow. And it seems like that's what happened to Judas. It probably was not Judas's heart when he was called to betray Jesus. I'm sure he was not thinking that in the beginning. Jesus probably didn't choose him that way. He probably started out with a great heart. But something happened to him along the way. Somehow the relationship broke down. And Judas seemed to be quite quiet. We don't know much about Judas. We don't have many of his words recorded like Peter, like Thomas, like James, John, Andrew. We don't have a lot of Judas's words recorded. Maybe it was jealousy of the other guys. Maybe that's what kind of got Judas upset. I don't know. Maybe it was greed. Because the Bible does say that he was taking money from the money bag. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it was Jesus was not who he expected him to be. Maybe Judas was one of those who also felt like Jesus was supposed to be this dominant king coming in on a stallion, ready to deliver Israel from the Romans. Perhaps. I don't know. Whatever it was, he didn't deal with it. And he almost certainly didn't talk about it. If he had, then the disciples would have had some kind of idea that it was Judas. But Judas is silent in the Gospels until the very end. We don't hear any of Judas's words recorded until John chapter 12, verse 4. When Judas, when Mary's pouring the the, the perfume on Jesus's feet, Judas is the one that says, oh, this this could have been taken and sold and given to the poor. That's the first recorded words that we have of Judas. The next ones that we have are in Matthew 26. The same incident when uh, Jesus says, Someone's, someone, I'm sorry, one of you is going to betray me. They begin to go around, not I, not I, not I. And Judas also chimes in and says, not I, Lord, right? And Jesus says, you said it. And so the disciples, they had no clue. There was no, it must be Judas because I know he's struggling. Judas kept whatever it was that was in his heart in the dark. And those seeds of betrayal began to grow. And as he's acting out, he's not talking about it. Mind you, he's stealing money. He's not being open about it. He's not confessing, oh man, I've been stealing money from the money bag. He's just taking money, hiding it in his heart. He's out there meeting up with the Pharisees. Coming back to the guys, not saying anything. Hiding it in his heart. He's telling the Pharisees where Jesus is going to be. Coming back, hiding it in his heart. Collecting money from the Pharisees. Coming back, hiding it in his heart. Not saying anything. He even showed up for the dinner. Smiling, eating the food, having his feet washed. Talking about, it ain't going to be me, is it? 
It's all on the down low. Until he eats that last piece of bread and Satan enters him. It's something about hiding and covering up sin in our lives. You can only go so far. You can only go so far before you tip over. You go off the deep end. And I'm not saying that Satan will necessarily enter you, but you will make some kind of a decision to break away or turn your back on or betray Jesus Christ. You can only go for so long. Satan thought that Judas's mission was so important. He said, I'm not going to send one of my little old mess up demons to go and enter Judas. I got this one myself. I'm going to personally enter this man to be sure that the son of God is betrayed. That's where Judas was. And Judas leaves and the Bible says in verse 30, and it was night. I believe John says that on purpose because John has this light and darkness theme going out throughout the whole gospel of John. And Judas has become one of those who walks by the night and stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus refers to that in John 11 and John 3. Judas is one of those who has preferred darkness to light because his deeds were evil. The next time these guys see Judas, a couple of hours later, he's betraying Jesus, just like Benedict Arnold. Like, dude, I thought you were on our side. We thought you left to go do something good, to give some money to the poor, and here you are betraying Jesus. And he betrays Jesus with a kiss, still so disingenuous, so fake, so insincere. At this point, his heart is fully hardened. And I said that we all have the seeds of betrayal in our hearts. We can end up like Judas if we do not walk in the light. We've got to stay open. We've got to stay transparent about our lives. We've got to let people in. We've got to be honest. And we've got to talk honestly about what we're feeling. We've got to confront any attitudes that develop when we're hurt. And we've got to talk to the person that hurt us rather than talking about the person that hurt us to somebody else. And we've said that countless times. Matthew 18, I'll read it again. If your brother or sister sins, go out and point out their fault just between the two of you. He does not say, if your brother or sister sins, go behind their back. Go talk to somebody else in the church and gossip and whine and complain and well you know I really don't like them and I'm not going to talk about them no more or talk to them no more because they hurt me that's not what Jesus says to do go and point out their fault just between the two of you bro sis you know what this thing that you did that you said the other day it really hurt my feelings you know what can we talk about this I won't read the rest of the passage you're familiar with it If we don't live in the light in this way, the seeds of bitterness will find root in the darkness and they will grow. You will be around looking like everything is okay one day, one Sunday, one worship service. Everything's okay. How are you doing? I'm great. And the next worship service, you'll be gone. Just like Judas. He's there. He's at the dinner. How you doing, Judas? How's it going? Everything's going great. 
I'm here to get my grub on, guys. What about you? Oh, let me just step out just for a moment. And then he's gone. I've watched hundreds of people say Jesus is Lord and come into God's kingdom. And unfortunately, I've watched hundreds of people turn their backs on him. Some suddenly, some very slowly, some over the course of decades. But it pretty much is always something that they're not talking about. Something that's in the dark, or they talk about it too late. Some hurt, some pain, some sin that they're not bringing into the light. They're not resolving issues until finally, like Judas, they leave and they don't come back. Many of us here are at a place of maturity that we see Satan's schemes. We see his plot. We see his plan. We see his trap and we avoid it. We're open. We talk about our lives and amen, that's great. Keep doing that. But for others, if you're wrestling with feelings about Jesus, talk about it. You feel like he hasn't answered your prayers and you got a little attitude with him? Talk about it. You're not feeling something that so many of us haven't already felt. You're not thinking something that so many of us have not already thought. If you're upset with a brother or sister, come into the light. Talk about it. Talk to them about it. And if you're in sin, confess. Get help. It's what 1 John talks about. Coming into the light, walking into the light so that we can have fellowship with one another. Jesus will still love you. Because Jesus still loved Judas. Isn't that amazing? But betrayal is real. It can happen to you. Pursue peace until you find it. Second, last point. Love one another. Love one another. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a little bit of a poetic structure here in this chapter. There's something here called a chiasm. A chiasm is kind of like a a nested loop. Or kind of like those little Russian dolls, right? Like we went to Kiev and we've got these, we've got the things like the big doll and then you open it, it's a little doll and then you open it, a little doll you open it until it's a tiny itty bitty, you know, baby doll inside of there, you know? That's kind of what a chiasm is like. And so there's a structure to it. In this one in particular, there's a, 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 a three, two, one structure, Okay. And in these chiasms, and there's a lot of them in the Bible, normally the one that's at the pinnacle or at the point, the number one, is the central message. So let me just quickly show you here. In the beginning part of John chapter 3, it's pretty much all, it's pretty much all about betrayal, right? And then the number two portion of this chiasm is in, sorry, I didn't uh, highlight it in my Bible, verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. That's the second part. And then number one is verse 34, the central message. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then it backs out to number two again. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Where I'm going, you cannot follow but you will follow later. He just said that, right? And then it backs out to number three, the theme of betrayal, 
when Peter, when Jesus tells Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. All that really doesn't mean anything. I just thought it'd be interesting to tell you. (laughs) But what it does show here is this contrast between betrayal and love. Right? Betrayal is this, this dark thing that's going on. Jesus, the Son of God, continues to love in the midst of this betrayal. And the, the central message, even of the betrayal, is love one another. Love one another. Yeah. Jesus is saying, I'm being betrayed, in essence, and I'm leaving. You can't come. But you all are going to have to love one another while I'm gone. And he says to love not in the way that you think to love, which is have a feeling, right? Love is not about a feeling. Love is about an action. But Jesus says, love in the way that I've loved you. And Jesus doesn't talk about his feelings. You know, this heartbeat that he had for them. I'm sure he did have that. But Jesus loved them with humble action and with sacrifice. It's like he was saying, you know, your love for one another is my legacy. It's my fingerprint. It's the test of my work. Your love for one another is what shows that you've learned from me. Love is what I've taught you. It's how I will live on through you, is what Jesus is saying here. There's a Christian author who lived towards the end of the second century named Tertullian, and he he. As he writes, he writes about how the world viewed the Christians' love for one another back then. And he calls them the heathen. And he says that that the heathen said of the believers, Behold how these Christians love one another. And another historian at the same time made a comment and said, They love one another almost before they know one another. And he goes on to write and he says, the heathen, of course, were prejudiced against the Christians. They did not like them at all and they were ready to spread any slander about them. They ridiculed and opposed them. They put them in jail and executed them. But they were compelled to pay their grudging tribute to Christian love because it was so undeniable. What's he saying? He's saying that the enemies of the church in the first century had no choice but to talk about the love that they saw, even though they hated the Christians because it was so obvious. Because it was so clear. Troas night on Friday was an amazing time. We came together as a church. The place was completely packed, at least in the beginning. I mean, we went till midnight. People didn't stay that late. But it was completely packed. I didn't know that it would be as bonding and as unifying as it was. We talked about the need to love one another, in essence, and be unified across racial and ethnic lines within the church. And many have expressed their gratitude. Many have expressed their thanks. I was getting text messages all day yesterday. I got one this morning. Uh, I had a brother call me and leave me a voicemail message, said it was... The best Troas night that he's ever been to before. And we just really had the chance to sit down and talk to one another about our perspectives. 
and realize that, you know what, it's okay if we come from two different kind of perspectives. As long as we kind of come together and meet in the middle, we can still love one another. And I think that's how we left on Friday night. We were able to build on the great unity that we already have. And we were able to acknowledge and empathize on one hand. And we were able to give forgiveness and grace on the other. But this is Jesus' legacy of love. And even though this world is full of betrayal, this love is what identifies and associates us with Jesus. There was a woman who was there who did stay till the end. And she was talking about she's not a part of the church yet. And she was talking about how much she was so impacted and so impressed by the love that she saw in the room. Black and white coming together and talking and getting deep. It was amazing. There's lots of other ways that obviously we can show our love. I mean, our marriages are a great way. Our families, our households, our small groups, all those are great ways to show our love for each other. And and is it hard? Yes. It's hard. It ain't easy. Nobody ever said that loving one another was going to be an easy thing. Will you get your heart stomped on at some point? Yes. You will get it stomped on at some point. Your feelings will be bruised at some point. But Jesus loved in the midst of betrayal, and we can too. Do you think that Jesus did not get his feelings hurt? His feelings were hurt. His feelings were hurt. Isn't that why he says, uh, it says that he was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, one of you is going to betray me. I mean, he's like there, he's at the dinner, and he's like, I'm loving these guys, but... They're like, Jesus, what's up? He's like, man, one of y'all is going to betray me. Maybe he wasn't that stressed out about it. I don't know. That's how I would have been. But Jesus was hurt. He kept on loving, though. He kept on giving. He never threw in the towel. He never said, well, just forget it. He didn't cover up his pain and act like it wasn't there. I'm good. I'm all right. He didn't quit. He never said, fine then. He never said, forget about it. He loved to the very end. And this is the love that we have to have for one another. A love that lasts to the very end. I'm not going to give up. And I'm not going to let you give up. That's the way that we need to be thinking about each other. And why is that? Because there's a dark world that's starving for love. And this dark world needs to see Jesus through us. The world needs to see Jesus in us. Just like the woman that I talked about on Friday night. She came, she saw, and she's like, that's what Jesus is supposed to be like. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Amen? Amen? Our love is how people will know. Our love is how the world will be one. If you're visiting, maybe you're one of those that needs to see this love. Maybe you're one of those that needs to be loved, feel loved. You're in the right place. You're in the right place. We invite you to join us on our journey as we love one another and change the world through Jesus Christ. Betrayal is real. We cannot think that we're beyond it. 
We've got to live in the light and we've got to let our lives be seen. But betrayal cannot stop us. Jesus loved in the midst of betrayal. He commanded us to love one another. So let's do that and let's invite people to see the love in our lives so that Hampton Roads will know, indeed, so that the world will know that we are his disciples. Amen.